Good to see all of you. So, um, uh, how many of you have heard the messages I've done on the devil? Um, okay, vast majority of you. All right, um, this is sure to uh, stretch you. I know, I know, I know. I hope it won't trigger you. Um, I thought long and hard about talking about this, um, but this is this is something that I've been incubating <laughs> internally for um, over three years now. Um, so here we go. <laughs> um, I want to talk about uh, light and darkness and good and evil. Um, Remember, I, I started this out. I don't know if you saw the video. A few of you were here on Wednesday nights, but I did a video that I called The Powers of Darkness to kind of try to give people a place to land before I took their Satan away. Because <laughs> that is akin to atheism. I don't know why, if you say, uh, you know, maybe there isn't a Satan like we thought. It's never a proper name, for those of you who might have missed it. Satan is not a proper name. The devil is not a proper name. It always has the definite article next to it in the original languages. So it is the Satan or Hasatan, or the word Satan means the adversary. Um, devil is similar, so the devil, right? And the first mention of a Satan in the Bible was the angel of the Lord that was opposing Balaam. So your first Satan in the Bible was the angel of the Lord that God sent to stop Balaam from cursing Israel. And then David, the man after God's own heart, is called a Satan. Uh, just means adversary, right? So, the previous message, before I worked on all that to take away your, your dark lord. <laughs> uh, was to try to give some understanding. And I talked about the world of polarity. So I want to give some scripture for this. Genesis chapter 1 is is perfect place to start, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. So there's your first polarity is light and darkness, right? Now, I want to try and explain the difference. The, the, the reason this might be difficult to hear, and it's going to be somewhat difficult to do, is because I'm going to once again challenge presuppositions, things that you believe and accept as being true, even though you don't know you're presupposing it. It's very much something you've been conditioned to do unconsciously. Those are always very difficult things to do, but I think they're very important and they can be very liberating. Because I think there is an error that we fall into that creates all kinds of difficulty and trouble for us. So I want to try to explain the error, explain the presupposition, and then offer you a path forward um, that hopefully will help lead you into wholeness and well-being. That's the goal. Got it? Now, a polarity is simply a spectrum from one extreme to the next. You can use hot and cold as an example, right? So you have ice and you have fire, 
And in between those, let's say those are the polarities, in between those two polarities, there are several varying degrees of temperature. With light and darkness, you have varying degrees of light and darkness, right? That's polarity. Now, <clears throat> the interesting thing to me is that God left us as much darkness as he did light in the seasons. So if you think about the four seasons, you think about the rotation of the earth, you think about your day, right? So you have a twilight. You have a time in the morning when there's light and darkness together. You have a twilight at night when there's light and darkness. So you have these transitions. You have a shortest day of the year where darkness rules and reigns, right? You have the longest day of the year, the sun, and then you have the two equinoxes in the fall and spring where you have equal amounts so that there is a perfectly balanced amount of light and darkness in creation. Yes? Now, something that might be interesting to you is to note why December 25th was picked as the date of Jesus' birth. It's not like it's etched in Scripture or we have any historical reference as to when Jesus was born. And how many of you have heard really radical fundamentalist Christians try to tell you you shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's a pagan holiday, you shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. I heard one person say, you know, the Christmas tree is Satan's penis. <laughs> you take Santa, you know, Santa and Satan, all you got to do is move one letter and you get away from Santa and you have Satan. Have you guys not heard this stuff, you know? And their big thing is, you, you can't go with December 25th as his birthday because it was a pagan holiday. And there is truth to that, but here's why they picked December 25th. Because December um, 21st, generally, it falls around the winter solstice, or the darkest time, or the time when darkness reigns. Darkness is winning the battle and reigning over the light. And so the sun, they would say, dies on December 21st, and then goes three days and is raised. And so the resurrection then, light begins to conquer the darkness. So with Christ or Jesus coming into the world, the symbolism of picking December 25th is that the light of the world has come and is now going to triumph over the darkness. Does that make sense to you? But you have this balance. You have this equilibrium of light and darkness. Then God created you as a microcosm of the macrocosm. So there is also this polarity inside of you. Got it? Now, you get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we all know the the serpent, we, we say the serpent lied when the serpent said that Adam and Eve could become like God. Knowing good and evil, right? And so people will say, when you start talking to people about their their own divinity, their own divine nature, they'll say, oh, well, that's just the lie of the serpent that you're recirculating, right? Have you not heard that? Okay, some of you haven't heard that, but it's out there. Well, you're just telling people that they can be like God. But here's an interesting thing. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, God says... <laughs> Verse 22, he says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the God sent him out. 
So whatever the serpent said to him, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God confirms that's exactly what happened. But here's our problem with the translation. In the original language, it does not say man has become like one of us. The of us is not in the original translation. The word there is man has become as one. Now it is the Hebrew word echad. Now echad is a particular word that means a union or a joining. It's the same word when it says the two shall become Echad, flesh, one flesh. It's also the same word in the Shema, the Hebrew prayer, the core of the Hebrew faith that says, um, how's it, how's it go? Here, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is Echad, is one. So every Christian who is Trinitarian says that's not a single entity in and of itself, it's a union of entities, and they're absolutely right in the Hebrew. So when it says, man has become echad, knowing, and by the way, the word there for knowing means to know through experience, good and evil. The picture is a blending of the two together. Which brings us to dualism. Everybody say with me, dualism. Dualism. Thank you. Different than polarity. Dualism says that there is... Different polarities, but they are completely opposite in their characteristics from each other. Do you get it? They're complete opposites. So in other words, they don't share any characteristics. So when you look at good and evil, here's what we've done. We have a dualistic frame through which we view the spiritual world and through which we view ourselves. That good and evil are complete and total opposites. So, for example, love is good, hate is evil, right? Courage is good, fear is evil, whatever. You tracking with me? Complete opposites, not able to be reconciled. Different than polarities. Does that make sense to you? That is a philosophical assumption that you bring with you into this when you start talking about the spiritual world, spiritual entities, and you start talking about yourself. You bring the principle or the philosophical principle of dualism. This is why, if you go back and listen to my message that I did months ago on the shadow side of God, this is why the shadow side of God gives people a problem. Because in ancient cultures, the gods, in all the mythologies and in the Bible, are very human in the sense that they have both positive and negative characteristics. They have love and hate. Yahweh says, I am a jealous God. Right? He says, it's just like it gives me pleasure to bless you for obeying me, it gives me pleasure to destroy you for disobeying me. Got it? Very human, isn't it? He loves Israel. He hates Israel's enemies. Now, if you study the mythologies of all the gods, the the gods themselves, no matter who it was, you you can look at Zeus, you can look at uh, Odin in the Norse culture, you can look at any one of the chief gods, El, in the ancient Canaanite culture, they all had a mixture of light and darkness. They all had a, a characteristics of both good and evil. They were human. They would do benevolent things and then they'd do things that were a little sketchy and shaky and questionable. 
Even Yahweh. The reason we don't look at those texts in our modern culture is because over the centuries we have been influenced to become dualistic in our thinking. You find no dualism in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. You do find dualism developing in the New Testament. (laughs) And further on. So here's what happened. So the early Christians, remember they were persecuted by Romans, right? They're being put to death. Rome was a very pagan culture, a very pagan society. There were gods that resided over everything. Right? right? And they believed in these gods. They believed that they existed. They believed that they were real entities. And so a lot of the early church people, they're watching these gods bless the murder of their friends and family and whatever. And so they say, no, these are all demons. And what they did was they took all the negative characteristics of the gods, they sorted out all the good characteristics, and they said these entities actually have no good, they have no benevolence, they are strictly evil, and created a schematic where now you have a devil who is completely opposite of what God is like and God who is completely opposite of what the devil's like. Because we're viewing it through this dualistic frame. Are you breathing? Yeah. <laughs> now watch this. Come with me, Isaiah. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have gone here today. <laughs> Come with me to Isaiah 45. Watch this. So here's, here's what he says in verse 5. He said, I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no God besides me. Now, he's writing to people that have pantheons. Right? Every God represents, if you will, a characteristic or an energy that they see playing out in the world, both in creation and within themselves. Because remember, you're the microcosm of the macrocosm. Right? Now, Jehovah comes along and says, there is no God besides me. I'm it, right? I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the light to the darkness, these transitions, there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Watch this. I form light and create darkness. I make peace and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Listen to what he's saying to this pagan culture. He's saying, I'm it. He's saying, there's nobody else. And then he says, there is none other. There is no prince of darkness. There is no lord of darkness. There is no other force out there that's causing chaos and doing these things. I create the dark. I create the peace. I create destruction. It all comes from me. And that's still a core principle of Judaism today. Now how can you, you, you can't, you just absolutely cannot reconcile that passage with Christian theology that has a Satan and, and demons. Can you see it? <laughs> so he's saying that he is it. So what is all this, what is all this stuff that's out there? What is all this stuff that's out there?
See, this stuff doesn't want to be exposed. Because <laughs> as long as, because here's the problem. Here's the real problem. As long as you're living in this world of duality, you will try to become only light. And you will try to become only good to the suppression of other characteristics that are in your life that you have judged as evil. Does that make sense? And the more you try to pull yourself to the light, the darker your shadow self actually becomes. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, agree with your adversary while you are on the way, lest he hand you over to the judge, and the judge puts you in prison, and I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid every penny. What's he talking about? Is he talking about matters of the world? Affairs of the world? No. He's talking about inward principles. Where we have this adversity, we have this polarity within ourselves that pulls against us. Not dualism. Polarities. So we have this shadow side to us, this shadow self. Are you tracking with me? Now, our Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and these guys help us out. Because you know what Sigmund Freud would say was in the dark, in the darkness, in, in our animal nature, in our shadow side, the evil side if you want? Two things. Creation and destruction. An urge for sex and death. So the murderer, the serial killer has given himself over to the principle of aggression, right? The whoremonger, <laughs> adulterer, whatever, has given himself over to the urge of sex. And, and both those things, even under Freud's system, both those things are evil, and so they're suppressed. But ultimately, we have those two urges within us. We have the urge to create, and we have the urge to destroy. We have the urge to procreate, and and frankly, we have uh, fascination at times with the macabre. And these are psychological energies that are going on inside of us all the time that are trying to find balance, that oftentimes we project outside of ourselves, that we disown. We particularly disown, especially if you're trying to move towards light, you particularly disown the darkness. You particularly disown the the shadow side of yourself. And the more you disown it, the more you project it onto other people. The more you disown it, the more you project it onto God. The more you disown it, you project it onto the other person. And the more you're in bondage to it. So because these energies are like knocking around inside of us, we have celebrations like Halloween. Why? So that we can get that out, that stuff out. So we can watch, you know, Friday the 13th and, and, and get that aggression. Have, have some kind of a vicarious outlet for our own subconscious aggression. Right? And so what we end up doing is we end up judging these energies as evil. So think about this, guys. As Christians, there are two things that are you're really evil, two basic principles that you are forbidden to have. One is 
Procreation, unless, you know, and there's varying degrees of that, but the church since Augustine has said sex is just evil and awful and people's sex, sexual urges and drives are awful and so they, it's pushed into the darkness, right? The other one is aggression. Because you have to turn the other cheek. You have to love your enemies. You have to forgive. So there's no place for aggression and there is no place for procreation. There's, you're, if, if God creates and God destroys and you're made in God's image, guess what? You've got the ability to create and destroy. You've got light and darkness inside of you. You have those forces, both of them, inside of you. And you're not supposed to eradicate one at the expense of the other. You're not supposed to get rid of... It is so unhealthy for you to try to get rid of all of your aggression. It is so unhealthy for you to suppress your sex drive. I mean, we can talk about the evils of sex when it's expressed, but what about the evils of sex when it's repressed? What about the damage that it does to people in that respect? What about the... I mean, we could go on and on there, right? But also aggression. You know, I, I have to forgive. I have to love. I have to walk in the light. I, I can't have anything of that. I can't... And, 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 and listen, aggression is a good thing to have if you're in war. It's a good thing to have if somebody broke into your house. It's a good thing to have if you need to set boundaries. It's a good thing to have if you're going to push forward and fight your way sometimes through a difficult situation. Sometimes you have to draw upon the power of aggression. You know what that means? That means you have to draw upon the power of darkness. Uh Uh-oh. If you repress it, it takes dominion over you. So the person who's constantly turning the other cheek, who has no boundaries, is internalizing the anger. Think about it. Think about it. Every time you get... You, you, oh well, I guess I just have to give this up. I guess I just have to go this way or, or do this thing or whatever the case may be. So there, how many of you know there is a blessing in, a, in assertiveness? Now here's the thing in Isaiah 45. Watch this. In Isaiah 45, we, if we back up, he says, I am the Lord, I create light. He says in verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Think about that. I will give you the treasures of darkness. Are there treasures in darkness? See, as long as you judge all that stuff is evil and you suppress it, it will control you. Because it will be unconscious and not within your realm of choice. So the more you try to deny your aggression, the more likely you're going to be given to outbursts of wrath and anger that sneak up on you and control you. The more you deny your fear, the more likely you are to have anxiety and panic attacks that just come out of nowhere. The more you suppress your sexual energies, the more likely you are to erupt in a moral failure or whatever the case may be down the road or doing some kind of inappropriate sexual acts because those are energies within you that you were never meant to eradicate even though we shove them away into the darkness. And so what has to happen is you have to, when, it, when, when Jesus said, agree with your adversary while you're along the way, 
He's talking about a psychological structure that as long as you're at war with yourself, you're going to be judging yourself. And as long as you're judging yourself, you're going to be in bondage. Because there may be times you need to access aggression. There may be times you need to access fear. Fear can be a really good thing if you have a legitimate thing to be afraid of. It can be an energy that can help you fight or flight and survive. Aggression can be a really positive thing because it can help you survive. It can help you prosper in life. But if we try to eradicate all those things and just go towards the light, we are losing our power. Your power, actually much of your power... Think about this. The power to create and the power to destroy... Freud and Jung said, live in the unconscious, live in the dark, live in the depths, live in Hades inside of you. Right? Those are two of the most powerful things you can have. Listen, you cannot transform if you cannot deconstruct. You can't change something if you can't say goodbye to what was. You can't embrace the new thing that's coming if you can't let go of the old thing that was, that was there. And there are times you need your <laughs> your inner serial killer to <laughs> cut someone off in your life. <laughs> you, you see it? So there's treasures in the darkness. So watch this. So come with me, and this is where we'll finish. Is this all right? Come with me to Job 41. So if you look at the book of Job as a tale, as a psychological tale, as a mystical tale, as a tale that speaks to human experience and human potential, instead of like a literal dude that lived, we don't know when he lived, and we just know, man, he had it rough. I mean, how can you possibly read that story literally? I mean, he's going along great one day and then all of a sudden fire falls from heaven and destroys all his property and his kids and his family and everything. And then the very next day he gets boils all over his skin. I mean, come on. It it literally is about the power of creation and destruction and the balancing of the two. Job only serves you because he's only experienced the light side of it. Let him experience the darkness, let him experience the destruction, and he'll curse you to his face, to your face. But the reality is, gang, just like you can't get away from the summer solstice and the winter solstice, and you can't get away from the spring equinoxes, and you can't get away from night and day, you cannot get away in this human experience, in this three-dimensional world, of the powers of creation and destruction. And each one in their proper place has its place and is necessary to balance and order and life. So in Job 41, he says this to Job. God is speaking to Job here in 41 verse 1. He says, Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook, or snare his tongue with a line which you will lower? Now what's Leviathan? Leviathan was the devil in ancient cultures. He was the sea monster who swam in the depths and was the god of chaos. In the creation account, when God is over the face of the deep, the Hebrew word there is a reference to the dwelling place of Leviathan. 
So Leviathan was the force of chaos that dwelled in the darkness under the sea. Now remember in Hebrew, in, I've done this before, but in Hebrew language, water is about consciousness. And Proverbs even says, counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters. For out of uh, the heart there is the wellspring of life. So, there's deep waters in you, and there's a Leviathan in you. And God's question to Job is, can you draw out Leviathan? And he goes through this thing, and he talks about, can um, uh, verse 4, will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? And will you leash, uh, will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him and apportion him among the merchants? Look at, he, he, at, this is good stuff. So we think he's just, just evil, right? But then in verse 12, he says, or verse 11, he says, Who has preceded me that I should pay him everything under heaven is mine? I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his faith with his terrible teeth all around? And then he goes on and he says, um, uh, out of his mouth, verse 19, uh, sorry, verse 18, his sneezes are flashed forth lightning, his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning, out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals and a flame out of his mouth, strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. Look, he's talking about light flashing forth from him. So watch this. God says, when you can draw Leviathan out of the depths, when you can raise him up out of the depths and bring him to light, you discover that he is a majestic creature. You discover that he has strength. You discover that he has grace. And you discover that within him is light itself. The only time he's evil is when he's unleashed unrecognized in the depths and unbridled and untamed by the Spirit of God that's in you. God didn't say, I'm going to bring out Leviathan, I'm going to slay him and destroy him and get rid of him and banish him. No, He says, I'm going to bring him out and I'm going to tame him, I'm going to bridle him and I'm going to show you his strength and I'm going to show you his beauty. And so all those things inside you that you think are evil, all those things inside of people that you think are horrible and terrible are, are just the treasures of darkness. And what makes them so evil or, or uh, d- d- demonic, if you will, is that they hide themselves in the darkness. And, in, and, and, and they're untamed and they're unbridled because they're unrecognized energies inside of you. So if you have a trouble with, with anger, if you could learn to love your anger... <laughs> If you could learn to say, you know what, this, this energy is good. This, this energy is serving me. But it's not serving me if I'm denying it and it's ro- ro- lording over me. So I have to embrace it and I have to love it. Not rebuke it, not resist it, not push it away and just try to move to the light and put on some mask like you're just, you know, Sister Sunday or, <laughs> or you, you, you get what I mean? Putting on this face that I'm this perfect loving person. I'm just this loving person that's just nice to everybody, that's just, that's just such a, a, a wonderful... No! You have suppressed Leviathan. And it's eating away at your soul. 
And so you have to realize there are times to call upon that, to, to let that power come up into consciousness, be bridled, be embraced, and then be made your servant rather than your Lord. So if you can accept that you have aggression, and you can love your aggression... Some people on the sexual spectrum are more sexually oriented, have a stronger sex drive than other people. If, if you're, you know, in, in a, the wrong frame of mind and you try to suppress that, suppress that, suppress that, you're doing damage to yourself. I know a guy who came out of a really fundamentalist culture and background who bro- his body broke down and he, he became sick because he was constantly suppressing his sex drive because he was a single male. And when he started to get healing, the Spirit of God said to him, <laughs> this is what he told me, he said the Spirit of God told him, you, you need to repent to your genitals. <laughs> but but if, you can, if you can allow that energy to be raised and you can accept it, then you can start to integrate these things within yourself so that you can begin to find Wholeness, and I promise you, the more you embrace that energy, the more control you have over that energy, the less likely it is to become a devil to you. The less likely it is to become something that's not serving you and something that's destructive to you. But as long as we think dualistically, then we will try to be only people of the light when really we need to be people of the twilight. You could look at Lucifer... Oh boy. The term Lucifer in Hebrew is Venus. It's, it's the morning star. It's watching again something that's happening in the heavens. But it also means the light bringer or the light bearer. If all you want to do is be a light bearer, then you're trying to ascend and be like God and ultimately it will result in your fall. which is what happened to the king of Babylon to whom that passage is actually written, not some invisible entity out there somewhere. Do you get it? So instead of becoming light workers, we should really strive to become twilight warriors where we can live in the balance of the polarities within us to where they're mastered and serving us and we're bringing out each one in its appropriate context. We're bringing out from within treasures both new and old. We're able to find the treasures in the darkness and bring those forth. We're able to find the power and the grace and the strength and the light within the Leviathan that is inside of us. And by the power of the Spirit of God bring dominion. That's what God's showing Job. God's showing Job these powers of destruction that you think are so evil and horrible are not so horrible when they are recognized, they are brought to the light, they are raised, and they are mastered. Which is why at the end of the day, Job could pray for his friends. (laughs) Because he didn't have any enemies. He didn't have any more resistance. He didn't have any more adversaries. Make peace with your adversary while you're on the way. So Job could pray for his friends 
What if all Job's friends reference in the story is all that dialogue that goes on inside your head when you're going through a dark season of destruction and you can't make sense of it and you've got the accuser in your own mind saying, surely you're not righteous. Surely you've done something wrong. Surely God is judging you. Surely God is trying to teach you something. And somewhere in the midst of it, you find the voice of God coming out of the whirlwind, saying, you don't understand. The balance of life, the balance of your own natures, the own polarities within you. And maybe that's a pathway forward. There is this other polarity. I'm not denying the reality of dark, evil entities, forces of destruction that are out of balance. But I'm almost more afraid, or at least as afraid, of the human being who's just living in the light and hasn't mastered and learned to use for their benefit the powers of darkness within the depths of their own soul. So I told you, a little bit of a mind bender. Let's stand up and pray. Ready to take a deep breath. And just inhale very deeply. And then exhale. Can you feel the presence of the Lord in this? I hope you can. I can. Take another deep breath. I want to encourage you to set your intention before we pray. If you're ready, if, if you can receive this and see the wisdom in it, if you need to put it on the shelf or think about it or run away, <laughs> I get it. But if you can see the wisdom in it, I want you to just set your intention before we pray. Set your intention inside your own heart to love your own shadow self, to love that side of yourself, to, to completely love and accept that side of yourself that you've been suppressing and rejecting, that you've judged within yourself as being evil or wicked. And so, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you right now for your peace and your presence and your grace. I thank you for ministering your healing presence in our hearts right now, and I pray that you will help us to recognize the beauty (laughs) that is in Leviathan, the treasures that are in the darkness, the purpose of creation and destruction and those forces even within ourselves. And help us to harness them to our highest good and the highest good of those around us, the highest good of humanity. And we give you thanks and praise. And we acknowledge that we're a work in progress. And we trust in what the Apostle Paul said, that the good work that you began in us, you will complete it and bring it to fruition. And we give you thanks. But we accept ourselves for where we are in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for putting up with a little bit of craziness today from the preacher. (laughs) Have a good day.